0: The Tough Love and Second Chances podcast is written and produced by Tony Bennett on behalf of Edgar and reveals remarkable stories of those who refuse to be defined by their disability. The power of the human spirit shines through with examples of how hope, courage, and the opportunity to express oneself through the game of golf makes for a combination that can improve and even save lives.
1: This special bonus edition of the Tough Love and Second Chances podcast is to celebrate the announcement of former European tour star and now Sky Sports commentator Tony Johnston. We approached Tony a few months ago with the request of him becoming an Edgar ambassador. Why Tony Johnson? Well, not only has he been a leading light as a player on the European tour and highly respected broadcaster, but he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2003. Tony had two episodes before he was 50 years of age and was, in his words, lucky to get onto a drugs trial which changed the course of his life and allowed him to continue his playing career onto the seniors tour. We're so pleased to say that Tony Johnson is now an Edgar ambassador and we look forward to working with him. So please enjoy my informal chat with Tony Johnston. Hey Tony, fantastic to catch up with you, and uh, just to chat to you a little bit about uh, things golf and also things uh, MS, and um, just I think it'd be great just to to have a little bit of uh, a background because you you're originally from Zimbabwe, and yeah. I I played down there in seventy nine eighty eighty one, and okay. at that time, you were. Uh, You know, you were definitely on the scene and a good player. And I remember playing many times with, I think he's probably a friend of yours. I'm sure he will be, John
0: Bland. Yes, he was my best buddy on tour, Blandy. My absolute best buddy. We had dinner every night for 16 years. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was my closest buddy on tour. How did did you get to know John? Um, You know, it was a a fluke, really. We were playing, I was an amateur still, and it was... um, The Elephant Hills Classic at the Vic Falls in 1979. 78. It was the year before I turned pro. Um, And I was playing in this this tournament. And um, I played a practice round with Blandy. And he said, you know what? I'll have you a bet. If any round you beat me, I'll give you a a $2 note. And I went out in the first round and beat his score. And he he signed me a $2 note, which I have had in my wallet until about two years ago when my wallet got nicked. And from that, we just clicked. From the minute we, we played the first hole, uh, we just got on with each other and each other's sense of humour. And that was it. Wow. Lifelong buddies. I spoke to him two days ago.
1: Really? Is he doing okay?
0: Yes, he's good. I mean, I've never seen a man who loves golf as much as he does. He plays or practices every single day. And this is the first three weeks ever where he's gone a, a day without playing or practicing golf.
1: Is that right? So, uh, and is, Gianno, he st- he just, is he still he down in it. SA?
0: Yes, he lives down at um, Fancourt. Okay. Uh, and he plays the the links there and all the courses there. Yeah, He just loves the game. He loves playing. Brilliant. i just got very
1: one quick story. I played with Blandy in, I don't remember which year it was, but I played with him at the PGA Championship at the Wanderers. Yeah. And he didn't seem to play too good that day. And I played to my very best, you know. And I, I remember shooting, I don't remember, 71 or 70 or something like that. I played really well. Yeah. And when I signed his card, he, he shot 66 or 67 or something like that. I, I thought know. to myself, how the hell did he do yeah. that? And I, I, I kept know. looking <laughs> at the scorecard thinking I'd made a mistake. And, but of course, he, he, he had. He'd beaten me and beaten yeah. me comfortably. And yeah, it's just incredible.
0: The, the, th- the thing with Blandy too is he showed no emotion. You know, you didn't know if he'd made a double or, a, or an eagle. Yeah. He, you know, it was exactly the same. So he plodded along and he'd, you know, you could Usually think Well, you're not playing that well But he'd hold a putt here And a trip there And suddenly, yeah, 66 Sneaky old bastard, actually <laughs>
1: <laughs> It was a pretty, group, pretty good group Of players at that time Wasn't there?
0: Yeah, I know I mean, there was a lot of depth Down there Baiocchi Hobday Nick Price uh, God there was, there was just so many Good players down there In those days McNulty, of course yep. He was king of the King of the roost In those days uh, Yeah, there was a hell of A lot of good players
1: And you played with Nick Price, I think, and and I'm actually speaking to you from Portugal. I live in Portugal. And you played with Nick Price, I'm pretty sure, at
0: Panina in the Eisenhower Trophy. Is that right? Exactly right. It was Nick, myself, uh, and... uh, No, hang on a sec. I think I might be wrong. I played with him in an Eisenhower somewhere, but I think... Did he play in that Eisenhower? I think it was myself, Teddy Weber, and George Harvey, actually. Well, that's right.
1: Was he not a four-man team at that time? I think it was still a four-man team. But anyway. It might have been. So maybe maybe he was there, yeah. Maybe he was there. And we know Teddy Webber was was a a good player. I didn't know George Harvey. That was a new name to me. I hadn't seen his name before.
0: Yeah, I know. And I think it was Henry Longhurst actually ranked him as the best amateur he had ever seen. And he was blind in one eye. Really? Yeah, he was blind in one eye. Unbelievable player. Turned pro, never really made it as a pro. Yeah. Uh, and then got his, um, I think he got his amateur status back after that.
1: Well, Nick Bryce certainly uh, did. He made it as a pro. Jeez, just, just a little bit, didn't he? Man, what a player.
0: What a, and what a good guy. I mean, as good as they come. As nice as they come.
1: You've got a bit of a history with Portugal because you also, I think I'm right in saying, was that your first win on
0: the European tour in quinto de Lago? It was indeed, and you know what? The, um, I think it was the year before that we got invited to the Bovis Pro-Am. Okay. Or two years before that, they used to have the Bovis Pro-Am down there. Yep. Um, no, I think it was two years before that when I I was skid and I played in that and won it, um, and I think I, I won a thousand pounds.
1: Really? Jeez,
0: Oh yeah, that I mean that kept me going for you know that was that was like winning the lottery. And, um, the guy that ran, um, Kenta said to me, why don't you give me the thousand pounds and you can have any plot, any stand you can have any stand you like on the, on the, the estate. Wow. Can you imagine for a thousand pounds? And I needed the cash. I said, look, Antonio, I just can't, his first name was Antonio does something or other. Um, I said, I just can't do it. Sorry. But, uh, if only. (laughs) Uh, Certainly,
1: a a plot down in Quince de Lago now would definitely be over a million, that's for sure.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, yeah, no, so I've always had an affinity uh, to Portugal when we used to, when we lived in Rhodesia as it was then, we used to come over on holiday to Europe. We'd go to Italy to see my relatives, my mum was Italian, but the only other place really that would accept us Because of the sanctions, was Portugal. So we used to go on holiday to Portugal, and I've always just loved Portugal, and I've I've loved the Portuguese people. I think they're the, I just you know, just I just I just really enjoy the place. Always did.
1: Yeah, well, I've lived down here for 25 years, and uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty nice place to live. And interestingly, I remember that that because I know when I played down in SA, we got put on a blacklist. And so yeah, yeah. there were some, yeah, sure. some countries we couldn't go to. I think Belgium was one of them, and there was plenty of other countries as well. But yeah,
0: Sweden. Sweden wouldn't touch yeah. anybody that had played in. So I mean,
1: you had, you had probably, what, 20 years or so on tour? Uh,
0: 25 on the main tour and 10 on the seniors' tour. Okay. So you saw the tour change a lot in that period of time? it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've done a couple of... Um, uh, these tour tales that they're showing on the uh, on the European Tour website, and just generally, you know, if you go hashtag tour tales, and we've been telling stories a bunch of us about um,
1: things that happened,
0: and I've told a few from the 80s, and I'm sure the youngsters look at this and just think this this must all be lies. They just won't believe the stuff that you know that we had to do, and and what we did. We, it was it was such fun in those days.
1: Yeah, that's the word that keeps coming back. Actually, when I speak to people from that time, because I remember it. Obviously, I wasn't very good, and so I was very much right down at the, at the bottom end there for two or three years, and trying to make a way. And, and, and certainly realized very quickly that that was not going to be the way I was going to make a, a living. But uh, certainly in that period of time, I really enjoyed myself, and it was it was just it was great to see the the, the players, and great to experience different countries. Um, But certainly, it was a totally different world. It was, you know, we would get in a car and travel across the country and and travel different continents quite easily, no problem.
0: Absolutely, and trains and buses and taxis. And, you know, we used to travel with our measuring wheels and our practice balls. And God, the only reason I took Karen on tour with me was that she could help me with my luggage. (laughs) (laughs) So after you had this 25
1: years on tour and then you went but, but you around about 2004 you woke yeah. up one morning and had a bit of a dead arm.
0: Yes. Yeah. I woke up uh, um, on the Sunday morning and my hand was numb and I, I thought I'd been lying on it awkwardly. You um, know, pins and needles and uh, um, sort of dead in pins and needles and then it I thought, you know, this is nothing. And then it slowly went up my left arm, then the left side of my face, and I thought, my God, I've, I've had a stroke here or something. Uh, so we did to see a neurologist on the Monday. He said, no, no, it's just a viral infection. Gave me um, some steroids. Um, I was hoping that maybe it might put some muscle on. That didn't work, unfortunately. But, um, you know, just kept going. Um, didn't really help. And then um, I was playing a practice round for the Open qualifying down at St. George's. And, you know, we stopped for a, a coffee after nine holes and got on the 10th tee. And it was like somebody had just pulled the plug on me. I could barely take a step forward, it was just so sudden. Um, played two or three holes and said to my caddy, Look, I can't carry on like this. We've got to go in. Um, and then it took me a bat. 45 minutes to walk three holes. I was, I was like a 110-year-old. You know, uh, it up the next day, and in the first round, I was, I was going well. I was I don't know, a couple under par after 13, I think. And then the same thing happened again. Just boom, just, just couldn't carry on, had to walk off the course. Uh, and then women had um, MRI scans and things, and that's when they diagnosed uh, me with MS. Basically said, look, you're never, you're never going to play golf again. But um, you know, the specialist I had, which was a the guy I wasn't that keen on, his line was, uh, you'll never play competitive golf again, but I'm sure you can do something else golf related. Wow. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was so angry. Uh, my missus had to actually pull me out of the surgery. That's so badly he wanted to give this guy a clip. But uh, that was it. So yeah, diagnosed with MS, and then very fortunately got into a, a drug trial for okay. a new drug, which which was a miracle. A miracle.
1: Can I just um, take you back just a little bit, just there, just back into that surgery there? So you've left the surgery now. Your your wife mm. has kind of restrained you. Yeah. You've then got in the car. What was the next forty-five minutes hour
0: like? Well, in fact, you know what? I've I've got this uh, <laughs> saying that. I'll go back a step. My symptoms when I was diagnosed with the MS was complete lack of coordination. And one of the biggest symptoms, well, the biggest symptom was um, my memory. My short-term memory just dissolved and then I started losing my long-term memory. So you'll have to excuse me for getting this slightly uh, back to front. The first first time I went to see him was when he diagnosed me with MS and and gave me this line, uh, which I wasn't pleased about. Went and sat in the car for an hour, just stumped, you know, phoned Karen, my wife, told her the story. um, uh, Got home, and, you know, you can't believe it, you know, because you just think, no, this is something that happens to other people. I then had to go back to have the MRIs. That's right. Um, And I went, and then I had a bit of a cough, and he said, look, uh, you know, we can't do the MRI um, until uh, your lungs have cleared. I said, well, hang on, you are you going to do an MRI of my brain? Like, no, 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 We've got to, we're going to have to send you four um, x-rays on your chest uh, and give you steroids. I said, look, you've given me steroids before. It's made no difference, and I'm not doing this. He said, all right, well, could you just go and kind of wait outside that office there? We went, sat there for an hour, and out came a, uh, a nurse and said, okay, we're ready to take you in for your um, x-ray for your chest now. And that's what I went in. I went into his office and I said, listen, I've told you, this is my body. I'm not having an, an X-ray on my chest. And he said, well, were, and, and that's when I lost the plot. I mean, I I just so badly wanted to yeah. do something. And that's when Karen came in and said, come, we better get out of here. Before you do something, you'll regret. Um, so, yeah, then I sent my my um, MRI scans. I got them done and sent them off um to some doctor friends of mine in South Africa. They all concurred that it was MS. Uh, And then then they put me in touch with a a neurologist, a South African guy in London, um, who is one of the best MS guys you could find. Went through it all and he said, look, we've got this, uh, there's this drugs trial. They're just about to close the numbers. And I think you're an ideal candidate. Uh, for a drug called Campak, It's changed its name along the way. You know, it's gone to Alamtuzumab now and all sorts of things. Um, and he immediately picked the phone up, picked the phone up and phoned um, Edinburgh's Hospital where they were doing the, the trial. And there were 120 people on the trial, and I got the very last spot. And wow. the interesting thing with this, this trial is that you had to have had two episodes. You had to be under 50. I was 48. I just had my second attack. Um, and unfortunately, then they said that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't very efficacious outside the first five years. So you had to have been inside the first five years, and I was. Um, and, you know, if I hadn't gone on that trial, I wouldn't have been able to get it at all. Because it only, I think in 2000, that was in oh three and. Uh, 2016, that's how long it takes to get past all the red tape, etc. You know, it got put uh, for use on the NHS. You can get it on the NHS now. But I would have missed out on that window. And, uh, you know, know, I I definitely would not have played golf again. Wow. Just a fantastically lucky break, really.
1: Well, yeah, but, I mean, the nice thing is is that you had that opportunity and you've taken advantage of that. And I know that you do a fair amount of work with the MS societies, and also you've got you've changed your career.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, they they give you a, a wad of paperwork of all the potential side effects. You know, they have to. It's a, it's a, a trial drug, so everything from you know losing your head to the worst possible scenario. You, can, you know. Uh, But I said to Karen, my wife, I said, look, you know, my quality of life at the moment is just, it's just terrible. You know, I I got to the point at one stage, I I was talking to somebody on the phone about uh, my son, and I couldn't remember his name. I mean, I could not remember his name. After I made the phone call, I went and looked at one of his sweaters, his school sweaters in the cupboard, just to have a look to remind me. You know, I, I would go out in the car, get to the gate, not know where the heck I was going. And it just became untenable. I said, "Look, I don't care what the potential side effects are. Um, I'm, you know, I have to go for this thing. I've got to give it a try. Otherwise, you know, golf's over, commentary's over. You know, life is not going to be much fun." And as it turned out, it just it, it was a, it was it was the right move. Tell me
1: about that because you you obviously learnt something when you're playing golf. And did any of the the mental disciplines did that, that, that shaped you anyway because you know that is i'm not going to say it's a gambler's view because it's not mm. it's a, a realistic view to say i, I don't want the, the life that i've got right now it's untenable and so therefore yeah. i'll get on with it and I'll, I'll just deal with whatever comes do you think golf would help you at all with that kind of decision making um
0: yeah i'm sure it did you know <clears throat> excuse me i think um a lot of it was to do with upbringing. You know, um, my parents always reinforced a, um, a positive mentality, and I think they instilled determination in me. And you know, I think the determination helped me in golf. But I think that, and having learned the determination in golf, definitely made a difference because I was determined to to get back to playing and get back to, um, you know, just trying to have as normal a life as possible and I got very lucky you know without the, the drug all the determination in the world would have made no difference but I think it was the t- determination to try every avenue to, to try and get back to, to normal again.
1: So, so tell me a little bit about the work that you do uh, with the MS uh, Society.
0: Um, I'm an ambassador for the MS Society you know in 2009 uh, you know, I was I was on the seniors tour. I'd been on the seniors tour for a couple of years, and I just thought, you know, I've had such a good break here, and a lot of people don't get the opportunity. And I phoned uh, the M S Society and said, you know, I'd I'd like to give something back here, um, and I'd like to do a pro am for the M S Society at Sunningdale. Um, you know, they didn't really at that point uh, know a lot about um, golf and pro-ams. and they said, well, look, you know, that's nice. Um, you know, we can we get back to you and then they obviously did a bit of homework, came back and said, Look, that's a wonderful idea. Um and we did this program for the MS Society at Sunday, I raised over a hundred thousand pounds thanks to uh, generosity of players and pros and friends and, and then they asked me to be an ambassador, which I'm I'm very proud of, you know, and um I do a couple of little things here. It's it's not huge, it's you know mainly a name, but um, you know, I've signed stuff and uh, letters to m s volunteers etc, and try to get to one or two of their functions a year, which has been difficult uh, I've been pretty busy the last few years but no, i i I love my association with the m s society they're a fantastic uh society they give and un- i mean there are a hundred thousand registered m s u uh, sufferers in the u k and they give unbelievable support and help to them, and they do an awful lot for um, research yeah. Uh, new, new treatment of MS so yeah I'm, I'm very happy to be associated with them.
1: We've got a few players that play in the Edgar events and they, they're they MS sufferers uh, one that's actually not too far away from you a lady called Amy Bullock uh, she mm-hmm. lives in Woking so not too far away from you I know and okay. uh, Amy's Amy was a hockey player and then she had her episode and their episode, every every MS sufferer seemed to have a different episode That sort of sets it off, if you like, or that that actually it's not sets it off; it just brings it to light. So, yeah, we have quite a number of players that 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 play with MS, and interestingly, we find that because of the the fact that they play, they're now beginning to make more people with MS realise that golf actually is not a bad sport for them. Our goal here is to try and get more and more people. To actually see golf as an opportunity for them to play, because plenty of disabled people want more sport in their life. So, forty percent of people with disability would like to get more sport in their life, and I think we've got a pretty good game for that. I think Tony,
0: I think it's 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 a perfect opportunity, isn't it? You know, they're not going to play football, uh, you know, and a lot of other sports they they're not going to play. But yeah, golf, what a what an opportunity to get uh, people on the golf course, and I know. Uh, we had a, a chat a while ago, your goal is to get uh, half a million yep. uh, disabled people playing the game. I mean, that is a fantastic goal, and um, I just think it's absolutely brilliant what you guys do. You know, so many people are stuck at home and, and can't do a lot else. To get them on the golf course, man, I think it's an absolutely, just a fabulous idea. Oh, thank you for that, Tony. And, uh, and you've seen it
1: as well because you've played in so many pro-ams. And, you know, the nice thing is, is that everybody can play together. That's the beauty about our sport, old and young, male and female, abled and disabled, professionals and amateurs. So we yeah. can all play golf together. And, and, of course, we're in control of our own ball. So because we're in control of our own ball, we have a chance to go and play and, and, and enjoy ourselves and compete. Whereas I think if you go and play some of the other sports where you and I have both played other sports, maybe not at great high levels, but we've played other sports. And, of course, if you play with somebody who's a lot better than you, they control the ball and, and of course, then you can't play.
0: Yeah, yeah, true, true.
1: So, yeah. Tony, you'll, you'll know pretty well, I would think, Grant Hepburn from
0: Golf RSA. Very well indeed, yes. He does so much down there for, you know, all sorts of... Um, Golf associations, junior golf associations, and uh, yeah, and I know he's uh, he's involved with Edgar down in South Africa, isn't he? So, okay.
1: The kind of the structure is is that Golf RSA are the body that we work with. Uh, they obviously have a, an association down there which is called the South African Disabled Golf Association, and Golf RSA have a, a, an agreement with. Not only the Federation, the women's, the the PGA down there, but also with the South African Disabled Golf Association. And they give the, the OK for golf, uh, disabled golf, South Africa, to be the body that that represents golf down there. So we have a, okay. a relationship Brilliant. with them. And we're in 31 countries now, Tony. So um, yeah, hopefully it's you... Amazing. You...
0: 31 countries. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's amazing. And you know, the three levels of competition. Geez, yeah. what you do is fantastic, Tony.
1: Oh yeah, thank you for that. And uh, we just we got started at it. I mean, we're volunteers for it, so everybody just volunteers the time. And and tell me a little bit about your your commentary because I know that not only do you love your golf and, and are a super commentator and really bring a great insight into what's going on in the players' minds when they're standing to the ball, which is is fantastic, but also you also have a bit of an interest in the wildlife and the. Uh, the, the fauna and the birds and the, the animals. that yeah.
0: there <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, the, the commentary-wise, uh, sort of late 90s, early 2000s, Sky asked me, they used to have a Wednesday golf program, sort of a magazine program, and asked me to go in and uh, do a couple of those, uh, which I did. And, um, you know, they, I think, uh, saw that I can, in One or two words together. In fact, I'm just a compulsive talker. I better just fess up here and tell the truth. I just can't stop <laughs> yakking. Uh, drives my wife nuts. Uh, then I asked me to do a little bit of on-course commentary. I, you know, they've got to just sort of test and see what you'll be like with a microphone in front of you. And then um, asked me to do commentary from about oh three. I think I started doing commentary for Sky, and and uh, and I've just loved it. You know. Um, uh, particularly now, you know, for for 10 years, I was playing the senior's tour and doing the commentary. But, you know, I I retired uh, six years ago. um, And it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to be still involved in the game. You know, the the, the game actually drove me nuts. Uh, I'll face up again. I had a wicked temper on the golf course and I never I never beat it. I'd come off the course every day embarrassed by my behavior and exhausted from fighting my camp. And I said to Karen, my wife, 20 years ago, the day I don't feel competitive, I'm done. That's me. I'm done. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I hardly touch a club now. But, you know, to be involved, I love the game, being involved with it. And, you know, you're out there and you're mixing with the young guys and having chats and having fun and you're having a bit of the camaraderie that uh, I would have really missed from, uh, from, from playing the tour. You know, it sort of comes in waves. We had uh, our sort of wave, then we had uh, the Ratif Ernie wave, then we had um, Charles and Louis Ustaise, and we've got another wave coming through now. They have great programs down there for the juniors and amateurs. Um, and yeah, no, and it's you know, it's it's just nice to to be happy with you. and they keep you young. You know they keep you, and the fact that they all call me grandpa is beside the point, Um, (laughs) and 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 abuse me terribly. But uh, yeah, I love all of them, and you know, just and all the nationalities. You know, golf crows on the whole are a good bunch of down-to-earth guys, so have a lot of fun out there.
1: Hey, well, listen, Tony, it's been fantastic to catch up. Um, The game is very thankful that you've played it, so that's uh, that's also good. Uh, I know that you're thankful that you've played the game and you're thankful that you got on the drugs trial and, and I know that you're really proud of the work that you do with the MS Society. So thanks very much for your time. really appreciate it.
0: Absolute pleasure, Tony. Thank you.
1: This was an Edgar
0: Player Story supported by Ping, helping golfers to play their best. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com. Stay tuned for the next Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. Ping.
1: Play your best.